0: What do Dr. Anthony Fauci and Harvard-trained psychologist Stanley Milligram's famous 1960s obedience experiments have to do with each other? How is it possible to get the majority of the world's population to shut down business activity and take an untested vaccine? What does the COVID pandemic tell us about Americans and where we place our faith Does the phrase, in God we trust, mean anything anymore? Or has the philosophy of scientism now become the goal of the American experiment? These stories and dictionary wars, all in today's edition of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars, with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired, so tired. Well, just as the past show was, this show is going to be quite packed and you may even want to listen to this show more than once because we're going to be dropping a lot of terms, definitions and uh, uh, thoughts that um, maybe some of them are new to you. Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, I know we've got a very intelligent audience out there but maybe you want to pass on some of these concepts to some others that are not as familiar with them as you are. Well, we're going to start off talking about Dr. Anthony Fauci and Fauci as a hero. Now, think of a movie with a hero figure. Think of a great epic poem like the Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey, with a hero uh, figure, Odysseus, also uh, in Latin, Ulysses, and you think of somebody who's bigger than life, somebody who uh, conquers a number of obstacles, faces a number of obstacles and conquers them, and does it through almost unheard of uh, or supernatural human strength, ability and wit, uh, not just uh, with uh, pure brawn and muscle and that sort of thing, but also uh, with the skills of thinking, craftiness, cleverness in order to defeat their foes. So think of think of a hero, your favorite hero in a movie. Every movie has the protagonist that is the hero figure. And uh, an antagonist. And there may be more than one antagonist. Occasionally, there's more than one protagonist, but typically, there's one pro- protagonist and there may be a series of antagonists. Uh, typically, think of your James Bond movies. You got James Bond. He's clearly the hero, the protagonist. One thing you know, he's not gonna die uh, somewhere in the middle of the movie because you paid for two hours. So he's gonna survive. And uh, but then he's gonna face a number of antagonists. Well, Anthony Fauci can also be interpreted as a hero throughout this COVID pandemic. So it's it's very interesting to look at him uh in terms of being a hero. Uh one article put out in USA Today says uh coronavirus hero, Anthony Fauci is a great public servant in a time of great need. Now, this was put out March 22nd, 2020. So already he was uh, being hailed as a hero uh, in USA Today by David Rubenstein. And the subtext to the article is that Fauci is the world's leading authority on infectious diseases and the best person in the country to help us deal With the COVID 19 crisis. So everybody had to pay attention to him. Everybody had to listen to him. Don't listen to your doctor who you've been going to for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, Don't let your doctor treat you. Just listen to this one person, Anthony Fauci. Well, let's jump right into this first cut. And it's actually a combination of two cuts uh, put together. So the first thing you'll hear is Representative Steve Cohen Democrat from Tennessee, and this was February 13th, 2023. Uh, recent, it was in uh, the year 2023 where we are right now. Today's episode is uh, Tuesday, uh, the 23rd of May, uh, 2023. So this was back in February of 2023. The second cut goes all the way back to 2020, and it was on the program today, you're going to hear this interview with uh, movie star, uh, Julia Roberts, and she's just praising Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, you're my heroes. So let me play, go ahead and play this for you. Cut number one.
1: They've dismissed peer reviewed science and they've condemned Dr. Fauci. Who was an American hero who guided us through this pandemic. I believe in science. I believe in specialists. I believe in doctors. Talking about an appreciation, uh, for what something like this has done and and can do and take care to get back to as much as normal as we possibly can.
0: Golly, you're you're really like my personal hero right now. Dr. Fauci, take good care.
1: You too, Julia, it was really a great pleasure. Take care of yourself and good luck to you and your family. So
0: as we heard, first was Democrat lawmaker, Representative Steve Cohen from Tennessee declaring how Fauci was a hero Uh, on the back end of the whole um, pandemic, and then on the front end was Julia Roberts, and oh, Dr. Fauci, you're my hero. It's so exciting to listen to you, and and I just hang on every word you say. So, that's Fauci as a hero. So, a couple things, a couple things to unpack here. Here's another article. Now, this is really interesting, uh, and this is how Anthony Fauci Became America's Doctor. In one national poll released last Thursday, now this article came out April 10th, 2020, in one national poll released last Thursday, 78% of participants approved of Fauci's performance and only 7% disapproved. So that's a very, very high approval rate for Dou- for hero Dr. Fauci. More praise for Dr. Fauci from David uh, Bal- Baltimore Nobel Laureate and pioneer of molecular biology. Remember, all these laureates would kind of get paraded forward and, uh, you know, with, with praise for Fauci. And so, you know, you're were, you were supposed to really think that Fauci was uh, all that because uh, expert after expert uh, was paraded out in front of the public. And uh, here's another uh, quote. Here, uh, according to David Relman, microbiologist at Stanford University, who for years has advised the governor on government on biological threats. "Quote: Tony has essentially become well, they're buds, so he doesn't call him Dr. Fauci; he calls him Tony. Tony." has essentially become the embodiment of the biomedical and public health research enterprise in the United States. Nobody is a more tireless champion of the truth and the facts. I'm not entirely sure what we would do without him. Oh, we'd all be lost. We'd all be lost without Tony Fauci. So. Yeah, it was clearly a PR campaign. They're marching out, you know, a Nobel laureate. They're marching out a microbiologist from Stanford University. Uh, they, they marched out person after person, sort of a character witness uh, before a judge and a jury uh, in order to sway the audience that Fauci was all that. These days, nearly everyone has heard of Fauci, pandemic memorabilia entrepreneurs have put his face on bottle openers, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers. In Dr. Fauci, we trust bumper stickers. You can you can get them. You can even get a, a Dr. Fauci bobblehead. So clearly he's out there in the popular culture sphere. You can get a bumper sticker, you can get a bobblehead, and you can get a Bottle opener that says Fauci. Why were Americans gaslit and told that the only voice in America that can talk on the topic of COVID 19 is Anthony Fauci? You notice that if other doctors said something, uh, there were some doctors that uh, came out early and they were on YouTube, America's frontline doctors, and they were talking about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Well, they had millions of hits. Within a few days of that video, and within just three or four days, boom, that was censored. That was taken down because it was disinformation. No, you're only allowed to listen to one doctor, and that's Dr. Fauci. In fact, Dr. Fauci doesn't even have patients. Nobody's a doctor. Well, he may have certain credentials and gone to medical school, but for the last 30 years, he's been a researcher and he's been a bureaucrat and he's been somebody who just hands out millions and millions of dollars for research and grants. So he doesn't have patients. He's not working with patients and he is not a practicing physician. And that's very important to understand. A lot of people don't realize that. How did this happen? Well, the way it happened was it was a PR campaign, and he was touted around the world as the world's leading expert. And so people bought it. People bought it because it was wallpapered across the media, back to back, day after day after day. And people like, well, Julia Roberts, who everybody loves Julia Roberts, you know, she early on. Uh, she was uh, saying, "Oh, Dr. Fauci, you're my hero." Well, gee, if Julia Roberts loves him, I I need to I need to uh, love him too. So let's move on to this next piece, and this is going to be very interesting. Now, what does Dr. Fauci have to do with Stanley Milgram? Well, Stanley Milgram, who was born back in 1933, uh, he was a Harvard-trained psychologist and Milgram uh, conducted obedience experiments in the 1960s. And in addition to other studies that he carried out during his career, he's considered to have provided important insight into human social behavior. His Milgram experiments, which started in 1961, are very uh, noteworthy, famous because they were very. The results were quite disturbing. And he was trying to study obedience and compliance uh, because of his Jewish heritage and the tragedies suffered by Jews in Europe during the Holocaust. He was interested in understanding the factors that led people to inflict harm on others. Let's take a listen to this. Cut number two uh, having to do with the Milgram experiments in 1961. And you're going to hear... Uh, let me just set this up for you before I play the cut. There are three people involved in the experiment. The researcher in the white coat, you've got the teacher. That's the person being experimented upon. and you have the learner. Now the learner is an actor. It's a ruse test, a fake test. Uh, the uh, learner is supposed to respond to a series of questions. These questions were get- and the answers were given earlier. And then they give them, uh, ask them the questions again, sort of like that um, game of memory you play with the cards on the table. And uh, so he had to remember the answers to certain questions. And if he got the answer wrong, he got a shock. And you'll hear, eh, and then uh, the shocks go up. This is the thing. The shocks go up and up and up in voltage all the way to 330 volts. And you'll hear the person on the other side, uh, the learner, um, screaming, protesting, and saying, I, you know, I don't want to participate in this. What the teacher didn't know was that the experiment was actually on the teachers. So they advertised uh, to get people to participate. Um, they pretended when they came in and kind of drew straws, one of you is going to be a teacher, one of you is going to be a learner. But uh, when they drew straws, the uh, um, both straws said... Uh, Said the uh, teacher. So the teacher was um, always going to be the same person, the one that was uh, being experimented on, and the learner was an actor. There was no electric shock; he was just uh, an actor, and so it was completely harmless. But it, it looked very real with a electronic panel and volts written on it, and sound effects, and and that sort of thing. And then there was a wall, and the person was on the other side and the uh, uh, scientist in the white coat looked very official, and uh, he accepted all the responsibilities. So with all that set up, let's
1: take a listen. Participants didn't know that the learner was really an actor and the so-called sharks harmless. You're going to get a shot, 180 volts. Ow. I can't stand the pain. Let me you out of here! can't there.
2: stand it. I'm not going to kill that man,
1: there. I mean, who's going to take the responsibility if
2: anything happens
1: to that gentleman? I'm responsible for anything that happens here. Continue, please. All right, next one, slow. Walk, dance, truck, music. Two thirds of volunteers were prepared to administer a potentially fatal electric shock when encouraged to do so, by what they perceived as a legitimate authority figure. In this case, a man in a white coat. 375 volts. I think something's happened to that fellow in there. I don't get no answer. He was hollering with less voltage. Can't you check in to see if he's all right, please? Milgram's findings horrified America. They showed that decent American citizens were as capable of committing acts against their conscience as the Germans had been under the Nazis.
0: Well, you can see why this experiment was so uh, horrifying and startling to the American public. They. Had just gotten over World War II, uh, less than uh, less than twenty years. This was 1961, and World War II had wrapped up uh, in the 1940s, and so mid 1940s. So the war was fresh in their minds, but people were settling into their new homes. These were the baby boomers. They were uh, the suburbs were taking off. They were building new houses. There was a new era of prosperity. It's in the 1950s and into the 60s. This was 61 when this was being conducted. So in many ways, a couple of takeaways here, in many ways, the Milgram experiments of 61, they generate more questions about ourselves and human nature than uh, simply finding that approximately two-thirds of the subjects, the teachers, persisted with the experiment. Even to the point of possible death of the learner, simply because the expert in a white coat claimed responsibility and urged them to continue with this session. It doesn't go unnoticed that during the trials held in Nuremberg, uh, Germany, after World War II, During those trials, former Nazi leaders were indicted and tried as war criminals, and one of the frequently heard explanations for their actions was, we were only following orders. Now, there's a disturbing corollary connection between the thinking that we were only following orders and the mass obedience of two-thirds of Americans abandoning their personal care physicians for the advice of a bureaucrat, Anthony Fauci, whose label is a scientific expert. But none of these people have ever met Fauci. And Fauci doesn't have any patience. You can't knock on his door and talk to him and have a conversation. He's detached. In a sense, he's an actor on a TV screen. But he's a hero, as we've already talked about. Well, we now know through data and peer review studies that masking doesn't prevent the spread of disease. We were told it does. We know that shutting down our society en masse led to countless unforeseen circumstances such as depression, suicide, destruction of the education of our children of up to two years and more, and the bankruptcy of hundreds of thousands of small businesses across America. But that was okay because the man in the white coat said, we need to do this. We need to lock down for two weeks just just two weeks, shelter in place. Well, that two weeks went on for months and months. In st- some states, six months, some states a year. And children's education, of, as we've talked about in previous episodes of Narrative Wars, children's education, uh, basically, it came to a halt. The online experience just did not work for children in the young grades and, and most children. So it was a throwaway, a wasted year. We've learned that there are effective medicines now and treatments for COVID and that the advice to stay home until you can't breathe and you're almost dead and so you can crawl into the hospital. We've learned that that advice was not very good. COVID brought fear and that is well known. The fear of death and the media beat the drum of death every day. We were fighting fear, not a disease. Fauci represented a hero and a savior. It was not a surprise that the majority of Americans obeyed his commands, two-thirds. According to a recent study, as many as two-thirds Americans, they took the jab at least once. So very similar to the findings of this study back in 1961. And that's pretty fascinating. The problem, the American, med- American medical system is broken, and that may certainly be the case around the world. The medical system is broken. If an emergency, American be re- America can be just be reduced to a tyrannical class of ruling medical intellectuals. And we saw this around the world with the WHO. There was this tyrannical rule. Businesses need to be shut down. Everybody needs to take the jab. We saw this in country after country after country around the world. Americans need to question the narrative. They need to be allowed to pursue a variety of solutions. That's who we've always been as Americans. We've never fallen for the one solution for all. Everyone must obey this way or you're going to be censored, you're going to be out, you're going to be excluded from society. So on the topic of censorship, in order for America to remain free, we must not allow fear to be an excuse to destroy freedom of speech. If censorship is justified, then we're no different than the old Soviet Union or any other totalitarian form of government. People of faith must not abandon their faith. I've been a part of a Christian faith community for the majority of my life. I had friends during the COVID debacle that professed the same commitment to Christianity as, as I. In other words, these were people that I knew that were professed Christians that I'd known for decades. And yet, this is what I hear heard coming out of their mouths. I think if people don't take the vaccine, the government should take away their food and force them to take it. This was a comment I heard from one particular individual. Other individuals would just ask, hey, have you had the vaccine? And if you had not had the vaccine, then you're not allowed to come to their house. You're not allowed to spend any time with them if you're not vaccinated and masked up. They had swallowed the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Well, hey folks, again, we want to say thank you for listening to Narrative Wars. We really appreciate it. Narrative Wars wants to give a shout out to our many listeners, both in the United States and in other countries. And you can find our webpage again on Podbean with links to your favorite podcasting apps. Now you can if you don't see the link for the podcasting app that, that you is your favorite, just go to that app and you can put in Jeffrey J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. You got to put the R first, K Lions, and put that into your app. So we, we are now on Stitcher, we're on Audible we're on Google's podcasting app. We're also on iHeartRadio. Of course, we're on Apple and iTunes and uh, many others. So if you don't see it, the link on the uh, page uh, at narrativewars.org, that's narrativewars.org, just go to your favorite app and search under Jeffrey K. Lyons, and chances are you're going to see it. We're on quite a few, over a dozen. I've lost count already. So this will take you to our webpage. If you go to narrativewars.org and you can also access all our past shows and see those links to other apps, please five-star rate, follow inside your favorite app. Okay. Five-star rate, follow and tell a friend. We really appreciate it. All right, we're moving on. So, first we talked about Fauci as a hero, and then we talked about Stanley Milgram and his experiments in 1961 on obedience. And rather interestingly, very close to the same amount of people that obeyed or were compliant in uh, Milgram experiments experiments back in 1961, uh, two-thirds, about the same complied uh, to the COVID experience and and got jabbed in the United States. Now, you do find a higher degree of compliance with older people, but that's understandable because you heard over and over, hey, if you're older, if you're over 65, if you got certain conditions, you better get the jab, better get it, you're going to be dead. Get it, get it, get it. And so that was pounded in. And you remember when the jabs were first released, when the vaccines were first released, who were they given out to? Well, they were given out to older people and uh, and uh, people with these so-called pre-existing conditions. And that was to build interest. That was uh, so that uh, other people would start talking and, oh, I need to have it. I need to have it. Uh, so they, they intentionally it was rolled out uh, bit by bit and given to uh older segment of the population initially. Well, let's move on. Let's take a listen to this cut number three. And this is Anthony Fauci talking in his own voice on uh, CBS's Face the Nation. And Fauci sits down on Face the Nation. He's talking with Margaret Bennett Brennan, for, and uh, they discuss a number of issues. Let's take a listen to this.
1: Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So, if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there, there's a face, there's a vice you can recognize, you see him on television. So it's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. Uh, I'm not gonna be around here forever, but science is gonna be here forever. And if you damage science, you are doing something very detrimental to society. So if you
0: damage science, you're doing something very detrimental to society. This is America's doctor. This is the world's leading expert on infectious diseases. This is Anthony Fauci. And he says, hey, you can take a a swat at me and you can poke fun at me, but you can't uh, poke fun at science. Science is above criticism. You see what he's saying here? Science is above criticism. And this is a very dangerous thought, folks, because science should be criticized Science has been criticized historically, many, many times, many, many times, and there are valid reasons for for the criticism of science. Certain things get uh, developed by scientists, poisons, uh, certain things that are dangerous, and they get locked away. They get they get put in vaults and guarded because that's extremely dangerous. And that is a valid criticism. We just don't want uh, poisons everywhere uh, and available to people, especially available to bad actors. So that's a very simple example of uh, criticism of science. Now, people to this very day criticize the development of the nuclear bomb. uh, And that's a whole nother conversation there. That the nuclear bomb should have never been developed. In fact, Oppenheimer, who was one of the leading uh, developers, proponents of the uh, entire project, the Manhattan Project, is said to have regretted that uh, the nuclear bomb was developed so, there's another valid criticism of science. You know, should we have developed the nuclear bomb? Is that a good thing or not a good thing? And there's been different crit- criticisms and responses uh, to that also. So, when Fauci doubles down and he makes the statement that you know you can criticize me as much as you like but you can't criticize science well that's gaslighting folks that's doubling down and saying that science is is the ultimate uh, voice the ultimate ultimate arbiter of of truth and and, and value and, and and human existence and many things have been done in the name of science that are incredibly, incredibly evil. Uh, one of them was uh, the, in t- the movement, which was uh, in, in the early part of the 19th century, and that was the eugenics movement. And the eugenics movement said that um, certain races of people or certain people that were infirmed or sickly, that they needed to be sterilized, and this was going on in the United States of America. This also went on in Germany. Certain populations were sterilized. The Germans did not like the gypsy population. And the Germans did not like people that were infirmed, were weak, people that were not of, as, as we might say, of sound mind. And so they would either sterilize them or they would just kill them. And they did this in the name of science. And leading scientists all around the world embraced this so much that it was embraced in the United States of America. And it was called the eugenics movement. And we may go into more depth on that. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a proponent of the eugenics movement. And she has been on record that she wanted to uh, have abortions in certain segments of the population in in order to limit uh, the uh, population of those segments of the population. And so she is out of favor now and has been deemed a racist, but she was pushing eugenics. So this idea by Fauci that you can't can't criticize uh, science well, that's just gaslighting. That is about the most evil, wrong-headed idea that any human being can come up with. I just gave you multiple examples. One, nuclear bomb. Should it have been developed or should it not? It continually is criticized and discussed. Two, eugenics. Eugenics, the uh, intentional extermination of people either through death, such as the Jews in the Holocaust, or others being exterminated was sterilizing people. So there are many valid reasons to criticize science. And if we just rubber stamp and go along with whatever so-called scientists and experts say, we're in deep trouble around the world and uh, incredible evil unleashed upon the citizens of the world. Well, where's this whole idea of don't challenge science come from? Well, the roots of it are something called positivism. Positivism is a philosophy that was advanced by the atheist philosopher August Comte, who lives 1798 to 1857. So what do these old dead guys have to do with us today? Well, the reason that we have these ideas percolating that you can't challenge science, it it goes all the way back. It goes back sometimes hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years, but these ideas don't go away because the pen is mightier than the sword. Now Kant was best known as the originator of positivism, an approach to the philosophy and history of science and to the theory of societal development that identified genuine knowledge as the product of empirical observation and experiment and social intellectual progress. So his theory uh, called positivism was really a way of looking at history. It was a way of looking at, it was an epistemology in terms of, it was a way of understanding truth and the development of ideas and, and coming to an understanding of what that, uh, how, how we arrive at what we arrive at. He uh, suggested that there were three stages uh, that the three stages were religion, metaphysics, and science. Now that we're getting a little into the weeds here, but it's very important that we understand that these ideas build one on top of another. And so we're we're taking one step back to find out how did Fauci get to this place where he could say. You know, don't challenge science. I'm the expert. How did we get to this place where we have eugenics? You know, it's a good thing to exterminate millions of people. It's a good thing to, to rid the earth of certain populations of people through infertility so that that population will cease to exist in a few generations. So these ideas are not new they go all the way back, and so that's why we're looking at this this horrific, and I'm and, and really it's 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 a demonic philosophy, positivism, and it's really interesting because um, really there's nothing positive about positivism, but this is what they do, and this is another trick that is done. They give it a positive. Or a a uh, positive sounding name. What could be more positive or or affirming than positivism? And if you dig- disagree with it, of course, you're a negative person. So uh, immediately they've got the upper hand. And this is done in Congress all the time. The Affordable Care Act was not affordable. We were told that the cost that you could keep your doctor and that you're. Uh, The plan of your insurance, uh, the the cost of insurance would not go up. Both were lies. Millions of people lost their primary care doctors and millions and millions of people, the price went up for their care. So that wasn't true. So what were the three stages of positivism? Well, one was religion. And so what he acknowledges, uh, what um, the philosopher August Comte acknowledges is that most people start with religion. Yes, there is a God and anthropologists can easily uh, confirm this when you go to societies all over the world there's a belief in God. It doesn't matter what the society, what the culture, what the language, there is a a belief in God. And you can see this in ancient written documents, you can see this in carvings, you can see this in statues, and you see deities and all sorts of figures Throughout, uh, the history of mankind and before there was even, uh, any sort of written language at all, you see this. And then he says, then it moved on to metaphysics. Now, metaphysics is a belief in the unexplainable, uh, the supernatural. So it, it is, um, can be, but it's not limited to, uh, sort of a deism. Yes, there is a God, uh, but we don't exactly understand. Who he is, or 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 what he is. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, they say, was a deist, and then it moves on to science, and so science goes back to the scientific method, empiricism. So the scientific method was goes back all the way to the seventeenth century. Uh, the early 1600s, and that was Sir Francis Bacon. And he laid out a methodology of of, uh, creating a hypothesis, gathering information, uh, information as data points that uh, could be verified by others empirically, and then uh, through that uh, sampling of data and a a testing of a hypothesis, uh, either um, finding support or refuting that hypothesis in an experimental fashion, or a heuristic fashion. And so that's what we talk about as the scientific method today. And so that was developed by Sir Francis Bacon. And so this is what August Komp was saying about a hundred years later. And so there there was quite a bit of time between the two. So Komp was saying, this is the scientific method. This is the, This is um, what mankind needs to rise to. And comp, uh, even created a religion called the religion of humanity. And uh, so he replaced worship of God with the religion of humanity. Not a joke, folks. He really did. And uh, the spiritual priesthood, you can't make this stuff up. The spiritual priesthood of secular sociologists would guide society and control education and public morality. So, this was his vision that scientists and particularly social so- sociologists would guide society and that the administration of government and of the economy would be in the hands of businessmen and bankers. Hmm, sound familiar? So that's positivism, and I positively don't care for it. I hope you'll spot it when you see it. And now we move on... All right, so we're going to wrap up uh, Narrative Wars talking about scientism. So positivism, which is the philosophy that was developed way back um, in, the, uh, in the early 19th century by August Comte, but which was also uh, set in motion uh, through the scientific method and then the discoveries of Sir Francis Bacon, uh, way back in the 17th century, Bacon in the 17th with the scientific method, which we're familiar with today, Kant with his uh, idea of positivism that all societies start with religion, they move to metaphysics, then, which is sort of a general belief in God, and then they move on to science. So that the highest evolved uh, societies now uh, just believe uh, they they basically reject any belief in God except a religion of humanity. Now, this leads right into the idea of scientism. And this is another term that's extremely important because this is what Anthony Fauci represents. Now, we talked about Fauci as a hero, but really what Fauci is selling is scientism. He's selling scientism. I want to go back Listen to what he says again at the end of his interview. And he says that you're not, you're not uh, throwing stones at me. You're throwing stones at science. And that is scientism. Let's take a listen to that again.
1: Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there, there's a face, there's a vice you can recognize, you see him on television. So it's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. Uh, I'm not gonna be around here forever, but science is gonna be here forever. And if you damage science, you are doing something very detrimental to society.
0: Well, science, I have a announcement for Anthony Fauci. Science is not going to be around forever, because if if there is a God, and I believe there is, then God is going to be around forever, his principles, his rules will always be around. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word shall not pass away. Let's take a listen to what the definition of scientism is, and we're going to try and link these concepts of positivism and scientism. Scientism, America's state religion.
2: What is scientism? Broadly construed, Scientism is the belief that the assumptions and methods of research of the physical and natural sciences are equally appropriate, or even essential, to all other disciplines, including philosophy, the humanities, and the social sciences.
0: So, scientism is now the supreme object of all research. Now, I have a PhD in communication, and I was taught that philosophy is the highest achievement in, in scientific thought because philosophy is known as the science of sciences. Uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they were philosophers. So they asked the big questions in terms of metaphysics, You know the, the big questions about what is the world, what is real, about knowledge, epistemology, how do we know what we know? and then uh, questions about uh, uh axiology axiology those are the questions about ethics why do what should we do they they always deal with the should questions so these questions are key to philosophy and in fact when i uh, went to a friend's graduation and uh he got his degree also he got a phd uh, this was a friend of mine, and right before he received his PhD, which was after the medical doctors got their uh, degrees, the person that was um, giving out the degrees and and introducing the new graduates and handing out the degrees to the PhD candidates, the announcement was made that the highest degree now that this university gives out. And this was a university with over 20,000 students. This was a land-grant university in the United States of America. They said, and now we're going to give the highest degree. And the highest degree is the doctorate of philosophy, the PhD. Now, you can get a PhD, of course, in many, many fields. That is fine. But what he's saying is that all the other fields are built upon the, the foundation the foundation of philosophy. And so this is fundamental to the way that uh, ac- academics works in universities all across the, the country. But this idea of scientism is saying, no, uh, sociologists are now in control. Uh, the scientism is now in control. And scientism is the highest discipline uh, on the academic chessboard and that all other disciplines must bow to it. Well, uh, this idea is clearly laughable. And if you try to push this idea that the sociologists are are the highest degree of of, of thought and that scientism has surpassed philosophy, uh, which goes back, of course, millennia, then uh, you're going to get laughed off of campus. Let's continue with the definition of scientism.
2: It is based on the belief that natural science has authority over all other interpretations of life and that the methods of natural science form the only proper elements in any philosophical or other inquiry. It is important to note that scientism developed from empiricism and is closely related to positivism, the philosophy that the only authentic knowledge is scientific knowledge and that such knowledge can only come from positive affirmation of theories through strict scientific method."
0: So that's exactly what we were talking about. It's it's built on the, the idea that um, empirical knowledge, and that's who we, we talked about earlier, Francis Bacon. He, he was the one that developed the scientific method back in the uh, 17th century. Uh, that empirical knowledge and then positivism, that was in the uh, 1800s, that was again, uh, that was Comte. Those were the people that proceeded, or those were the philosophies that proceeded scientism. Uh, And scientism is now, by some, uh, lauded as the ultimate um, uh, achievement of humanity. Certainly that's what uh, Mr. Fauci is pushing, and uh, we're just here on Narrative Wars. We're saying, no, we're not going to uh, go with that. Uh, We've got a few closing thoughts here. Narrative Wars is an American production. We're understanding that there are many listeners in other countries, including Canada, the Netherlands, Singapore, and many others. And if you're a citizen from another nation, you may feel like you're on the outside looking in. In a way, this episode, more than any previous episode, is a type of glimpse into the soul of the American experiment. After the COVID pandemic, Americans not only are struggling with the question of what is the new normal, but we continue as Americans to question or, or to pose such questions as, have we as Americans redefined some of our core values? A few closing thoughts. First, Americans are wrestling with the concept of an American hero. Is Dr. Fauci now the embodiment of the new prototypical hero? Or is that just a thin veil created by the Hollywood sycophants who desire to advance their social media clicks and persona by going along with the latest trend de jour? Second, we must not forget the lessons of history. For as British Prime Minister during World War II, Winston Churchill, said, stated, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It was no coincidence that young Stanley Milgram, of Jewish heritage, armed with a PhD in psychology from Harvard University, began his now-famous studies on obedience and authority back in 1961. The Jewish Holocaust and the horrors of World War II were still fresh in everyone's mind, and the baby boom generation had created a new sprawling America dream in the growing suburbs of America. Milgram had a deeply profound question. How could seemingly rational people, the citizens of Germany, comply and obey directives from a tyrannical government resulting not only in the destruction of European society, but also the extermination of 6 million Jews and other undesirable groups of people? Keep in mind, as many as 1.5 million gypsies also died in the concentration camps. Of Nazi Germany. The lesson is clear, as during the Nazi reign of terror in World War II, so it is with the nature of human beings today. Otherwise, rational human beings can and continue to be coerced into that behavior that would otherwise be questionable. Many of us observed during the COVID breakdowns in 2020, family members turning on one another Church members turning on other church members over the decision to listen, to comply or not comply with the urging of the experts in white coats to take the COVID vaccine. Others were simply told, if you want to keep your job, you must take the COVID vaccine. During 2020, communication with our personal care physician was truncated, and when we got to When we finally got some sort of response from our personal care physician, it seemed as though they were all reading from the same script from the government. To challenge or even suggest that we debate other opinions was considered extreme or un-American and uncaring of others. Anyone that questioned the official narrative was expelled or quarantined from their social media accounts, sometimes permanently censorship ruled the day, and only total compliance to the narrative was ruled acceptable. Every mainstream media news source was in lockstep. It was as if they were all reading from the same script from the Ministry of Propaganda. Wrongthink was forbidden, and to push back against the narrative would certainly result in being branded as extremist. The social media truth trolls would descend upon you like a pack of starving wolves. The Orwellian nightmare was a reality. So what have we learned from all of this? Well, scientism is a philosophy. If you embrace the idea that science is at the top of the philosophical pyramid and that science is the preordained savior of mankind, then heroes like Dr. Fauci are to be exalted. Even faith and religion must fall to those who hold to the philosophy of scientism in contrast if you hold to american values such as independence a pioneering spirit a questioning of tyranny or even a belief that a belief that in god we trust is more than just a phrase on legal currency well then perhaps the words on this rock and roll anthem from the 1970s still have some value written by the band the who in 1971 we'll be fighting in the streets with our children at our feet and the morals that they worship will be gone and the men who spurned us on sit in judgment of all wrong they decide and the shotguns sing the song I'll tip my hat to the new constitution, take a bow for the new revolution, smile and grin at the change all around, pick up my guitar and play, just like yesterday. Then I'll get on my knees and pray. We don't get fooled again. The Who, 1971. And I think those words still ring true to this very day. Let's pray that we don't get fooled again. Well, thank you for listening to Narrative Wars. You can be a part of this program. Just email us at feedback at narrativewars.org. That's feedback at narrativewars.org. We'd love to hear from you. You can go to narrativewars.org, and that's narrativewars.org. You can find links to your favorite podcast application. We're now on Audible, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you have a favorite podcast app, just open it up and search for Jeffrey K. Lyons to find Narrative Wars. Hey, thank you. We truly appreciate your support. You're the reason that we do this program. I'm your host of Narrative Wars, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. We the people are sick and tired.
1: Hey. So tired. Hey.